0: Jesus has been changing the way we pray over the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? I certainly know it's been the same for me. It's just such an encouragement to go through this passage and see the way Jesus prayed and taught us to pray likewise. And it's it's been impacting even my prayer life. It's been a real privilege going through these scriptures. And, you know, it's it's interesting because religion can be so mechanical, so repetitive, that... We can naturally revert to these repetitions and mechanical requests that Jesus is warning us against, especially in the prelude to this passage. But Jesus is now offering us not religion, but to pray out of the outflow of a relationship with our Father in heaven. That's what drives our prayer life. So our prayers should look different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other people of, uh, of Jesus' day. Um, and frankly, other religions of all other kinds that are works-based rather than relationship-based that we believe in. And because of that, we're, we're not praying to be heard by people, but, for, but to be heard by our Heavenly Father. And so, because of this, we don't need long, elegant prayers to be heard by God. Or try to, as if we're trying to impress him with, his word, with our words. Um, but rather, we are heard by our Heavenly Father who loves us. The close parent that he is. And yet we acknowledge he is holy. He is set apart. He is in heaven. And we pray... A court, as we review what we discussed last week, not just for our wants and our desires, just shipping it up into heaven like prayer is some theistic version of Amazon.com. Just sending it on up there, expecting him to deliver for us. But rather we pray out of a relationship as a father to a child or the other way around, a child to their father. And we pray for his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And those were the three petitions we covered last week of how we pray first, starting by looking Godward rather than to ourselves. And this week we're going to cover, you know, how do we address our needs as Jesus teaches us to pray regarding our daily bread and then some. But um, I I blazed past this last part last week for time's sake, but I just want to color in the lines of one of, of the last verse, the last idea, really. Of, of the petitions we send to God for uh, on his behalf, because I'm not phrasing that well, but you guys see what I'm saying. Uh, the idea of God's will being done is really the key to understanding how we pray, even for ourselves. Let me think about it. It's God who hears our requests. It's God who grants them. So God isn't going to approve or say yes to a prayer that is not something he wants God's not going to answer a prayer that's against his will. So we don't bother praying to God, asking him to bless something that is sinful, for instance. That's never going to be God's will to answer something like that. But beyond that, the Bible also calls many things foolish. You see that especially in the Proverbs um, and in other places throughout the Bible. And we shouldn't pray for things like that, like a... um, you know, for, I heard a hilarious story a number of years ago when a couple went to Dave Ramsey, a famous financial guru for financial advice, and, um, and they're talking to him. They have a real tight budget, you know, but they're, they're, they're losing money every month, and they're wondering how they can get out of this. So they see this famous financial guy, and he's going through their budget, going line by line, and he sees, wait a minute, you guys have a $600 a month car payment. I think I found your problem. You know, that, this has to be the first thing you guys got to get rid of. You know, this, it's, it's foolish for you to have this car. And, and they said, but no, Dave. God gave us this car. And Dave had to have the love of that, uh, of somebody who cared about them to come and say, oh, bless your heart, guys. God did not give you this car. <laughs> God did not give you this burden. God would not give you something he calls foolish. So we have to sell the car Yes or make plans to move into it. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> we ought not to ask God to bless something that he calls in his word foolish. And you know, it's not it doesn't always look so blatantly crazy like that. Sometimes, you know, I've literally seen people pray to win the lottery of which the Bible says, you know, not to partake in games of chance like that. It's foolish. But they pray for it. And I wish I was making this up. I have been made aware of people praying, asking God to bless their extramarital affairs. I wish I was making this up. I wish that was a joke. So you guys know better than that. You guys know better than that. But it's out there. It exists. Some people have that kind of relationship with god jesus is saying no don't be like that may his will be done we pray for his will but it's really the other side of this that i really want to address that i think deserves more of our attention this morning because people who haven't developed a more mature understanding of god can fall into what i call the 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 futility trap where you're praying to God just in kind of a mechanical way, saying, Lord, if it's your will, bless this. Lord, if it's your will, do that. Lord, if it's your will, do that. You know, just using, you know, praying to God's will as a tagline. Just something you put at the end of everything that you pray for as if that makes it God's will. And wonder, uh, that, that's never how we pray. We never pray out of that kind of mechanical way of, oh, I'm just going to tag this line at the end of it, and now it fits my agenda. No, it's asking for things that God wants, asking for things that he desires. That's what it means to pray for God's will. And the problem is, you know, we, some people walk around thinking as if God's will is this great mysterious thing that only pastors and prophets of old can understand and discern, as if we don't have a book That reveals to us so much of what God's will is, what God's desires are. The emphasis that he places in his word are the things that should highlight and be emphasized in our own prayers, in our own desires. For instance, you know, like, should I keep praying for a family member that does not yet know Christ? Should I keep praying for a prodigal son or daughter who has gone out into the world rejecting God and his ways? Of course. That's written all over the Bible. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's something that we should pray for. That sounds like a prayer God enjoys and delights to answer in his time. Well, what about my job situation? Should I pray for provision? Of course. 1 Timothy 5 talks about the imperative, especially for men to provide for their families. So by all means, pray. There's no mystery there in praying to take care of your family. You know, there's usually a biblical principle somewhere in God's word that we can pin our prayers to or guide our prayer life. It's in there somewhere if we seek for it. You know, I even think of Abraham in Genesis 18 who prayed according to God's nature when God announced the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous. And, you know, he goes on from there. But he prays saying, you know, God, that doesn't sound like you. You know, that punishing the righteous with the wicked. And, you know, he prays focused on God's will at seeking his nature. And he got an answer. However, we always need to do that in humility, as Abraham found out in that passage there weren't 50 righteous there weren't 40 or 30 it was really just lot in the whole city and i say that because at the end of the day god might have different plans than we do we all have the humility of knowing that god knows more than we do even about ourselves and as we pray we need to remember that god might have perhaps even bigger plans than we to, can imagine let me hit this from a different angle actually um Joseph, being from the the book of Genesis, is the prime example of this. When his brothers sold him into slavery, and then he spent time in a prison, you can imagine, he was praying to be let out after spending years in a prison, years in slavery. That was a horrible thing. And, you know, there's a biblical principle to seek freedom if you could attain it in that time. So... It's a good thing for him to pray for it. But there was a reason why God didn't answer that prayer favorably right away. God had bigger plans for Joseph than he could imagine. As through a plan that only God could have orchestrated, he brought this man who was sold into slavery to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh to save a whole region from starvation and famine in God's timing. And something only God could imagine so, when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want to, as fast as He wants us, as we want Him to, let's remember could you imagine a world where Joseph got his prayers answered and he escaped from slavery, he escaped from prison, only to die in the famine that he could have prevented? It's worth thinking about. God's plans are bigger than ours. And sometimes these moments where we're stuck in trials and tribulations. God is doing something that we couldn't even explain, or that we couldn't even understand if He were to come from heaven and explain it to us. You guys see where I'm going with that. So with all that in mind, after remembering who we are praying to and praying for His will, praying for His kingdom, we get to our fourth petition of our prayer to give us this day. Our daily bread our request for a basic provision our daily bread today not quite tomorrow's You know this first chap uh, this chapter chapter 6 of Matthew closes in verse 34 saying do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble and we'll get to that verse when we get to it but see the priority that the priority is today not necessarily tomorrow you know the bible talks in many other places about planning for the future and you know not wanting to be unwise so you know we'll, we'll, we'll get to those places when we get to it keep saving for retirement don't live entirely for this moment today don't sell all that you have and have a party but he's saying a point here when you obsess over what comes next You become greedy and discontent today. When you're obsessing over what's next, and Jesus is warning us about that, when you're constantly thinking about to our daily bread and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, getting ahead of yourself, over-planning things, over-stressing over things. To contrast that, we see Proverbs 30, verse 8, that says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see what he's saying? He's saying, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. Make me be content. Make me be satisfied in you. Let me trust in you, Father, to provide for me. So, what do you need today? What's your daily bread? Is it, is your particular circumstance not necessarily wondering where your next meal is coming from, but maybe it's a medical thing. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's an emotional thing, or it could be a provisional thing. Whatever your need is today, pray for it. Commit it to the Lord today. If such a thing as bread is important enough to our Father for us to pray for, how much more so all these other things? Moving forward to our fifth petition forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so, for clarity, before we dive into that, how many times do we need to pray to be forgiven of all of our sins? Seven times? Seventy times? 490 times. Come on, guys. Yes, we do pray continually in this in this section. But to be to because we always do need forgiveness, but to be prayed to have our sins forgiven, we are pray we pray once. We pray once to have our past, present and future sins wiped clean. It's like saying how many times do I have to say I do before I'm married? Just once. And you mean it from all of your heart at the right time you say it once in your marriage. I don't have to say every day. <laughs> I do. But you know what let me let me let me come back to that example in a second because this this isn't talking about salvation. It's talking about restoration. Um, being restored from the effects of our sins and our relationship with God. Ephesians 4:30 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit when we sin. And that's what it's talking about here. Because those of you who've been married know that it's not always pleasant. I mean, sometimes when one of you wrongs the other one, things are different, aren't they? And things stay in that way. There's something's off. There's tension until you reconcile. And you only reconcile when the offending party apologizes to the offended. Until then, there's tension. Yeah, you can pretend that there's nothing there, but that just compounds your problems. It doesn't actually reconcile you. To get real reconciliation, you have to have the guilty party make right. And in our relationship with God, is he ever the the offender? No, it's us. It's on our side where we have to pray. And ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation. And as Elaine so perfectly put it, we do that continually. Because, man, we, that's, we sin continually. So this petition is here because we, walking in fellowship with God is the most important thing in this lifetime to enjoy him as our father. I don't want this sin hindering me just like if I were to offend my wife. I don't want to live with that tension at home. I want to reconcile how much more so to my heavenly father. That's what's going on here. Be free to enjoy God without the burden of this unclean conscience. And I'll address this at length when we get to verses 14 and 15. But I will say now, we ought to remember the parable of the unforgiving servant when it comes to this. Where you have the one man who owed a tremendous amount of debt to his master and pleaded for forgiveness. And it was granted. and he immediate, But then he immediately found someone who owed him like $10 by comparison and demanded payment immediately. The master wasn't too happy about that when he heard and punished him accordingly. Don't be like that guy. Recognize that we all have been forgiven so much by God and so forgive others. And rather than being like that servant, let's be like Jesus Christ who loved us and forgave us a tremendous debt. So let us glorify God by seeking to be like him, forgiving others, even as our Father has forgiven you. Then we have our final petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Other translations say uh, the evil one, but we're talking about the same thing, as, you, as, as we'll find out. You see, we pray for forgiveness when we fall into temptation, but we also pray to avoid it in the first place. That's wisdom. You know, and these are two petitions we need every day. As each day has its own opportunities for both temptation and forgiveness. And the need for forgiveness. It should be said that God doesn't tempt anyone himself. James 1.13 tells us as much. But he does allow us to be tempted for a season. Never more than we can handle though, by the way. Bible says we're always given a means of escape when we face temptation. God never abandons us in our temptations either. He is with us and able to sustain us through whatever temptation we find ourselves in, whether it be at home or at work or wherever we find ourselves. God is able to help us, and it'd be foolish not to ask for His help. And by the way, our problem isn't necessarily that God leads us into temptation. We are more than capable of finding it ourselves, aren't we? Let's be honest. Uh, James 1.14 says that we are lured away by our own desires and enticed into sin. So when we pray, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. You know, deliver me from Yes, we're praying. Yes, deliver me from the tempter. Deliver me from the evil one who wants to press me into it. But deliver me from myself. Deliver me from my own desires that lead me into temptation. Set my mind on things higher than my own self and my own physical or mental and emotional needs. And set my mind on God. Deliver me from Evil, deliver me from the mess I am even digging for myself. So now what about that that line? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You might have noticed I've been skipping that part in my, uh, you know, in my readings. And it's for a reason. If you have a a new King James version or, you know, the old King James version of the Bible, you'll see that in your Bibles. But if you have like a newer translation, a a new international version, an NLT, an ESV like I've been reading out of, it's not actually in the text, but it's in a footnote at the bottom. And there's a reason for that. Uh, Evidence is indicating that That was added somewhere around the second century by a scribe while copying the book of Matthew. And I'm going to explain more about that in a second. But there's nothing theologically wrong with that that addition that, that was made. It's theologically correct. I think it's an appropriate doxology. It's a great way to end this beautiful prayer that's become such a part of our tradition And I'm not bothered in the the slightest reciting it when we pray, but evidence suggests it wasn't actually spoken by Jesus. It was added into the Bible over time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, and I'll tell you why. If you're doing a 100-piece jigsaw puzzle, it's better to have 110 pieces than 90 when you're doing a 100, 100-piece 100 jigsaw puzzle, it's better to have 110 pieces and have extras than have 90 and parts of it missing. Because you'll just occasionally find a piece and say, hey, this doesn't really fit anywhere. Okay, let me just set that aside and keep going. And eventually, you might find a home and find out where all these extra pieces came from. But, no, but better to have that than anything missing. Um... We know um, they're contrary to what you might see on TV, on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, whatever means you see it through. All that stuff about there being missing books of the Bible, missing verses of the Bible. It's, it's made for TV nonsense. Any first year seminarian going to a good seminary can debunk that. Nothing is missing from the Bible. All the parts that are supposed to be in here are in here. And those extra pieces, like this little tagline that were added over the centuries, better to have too much than too little. We know where they all are. We know what parts they are. And if you believe that they're in the Bible, none of it is wrong. So I have complete peace about that. And I have complete peace uh, praying that when we pray together as a congregation. And now you know. You've been given a seminary-level education. Congratulations. I have to get one of those certificates from Dr. Fazerano. So in conclusion, guys, let's remember to pray what this prayer means, not just what it says. As we've discussed, there are no brownie points for mechanical repetitions in the kingdom of God. Rather, we, rather let's address God the way he wants us to address him, out of the overflow of our hearts, as we relate to our Father who is in heaven rather than mechanically, as the Pharisees used to do. Praying for his kingdom, his glory, his will to be done, not just our own. Let's also pray for our daily bread, our daily needs, whatever they are. If there's 50 people in this room, that's 50 different needs. Let's all pray for what those are. Knowing that when we ask for help with our daily bread, our daily needs, we're asking our loving Father to help us. Not trying to get some stranger who doesn't know us and doesn't care about us to pay attention, but our Father. And let's ask for forgiveness. Because every day we need forgiveness. Let's ask for help not being led into temptation or being delivered from evil because we need help with that every day. It's always at our doorstep and we pray all of this as we t- incorporate all of this into our own prayer life as we make this model prayer our own learning from its wisdom and incorporating it the, the lessons of it into our prayer life. We pray all of this because whether if it's in the Bible or not it's still true for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen church. Amen. Amen.